and welcome back to uh, One of Us as a Filmmaker podcast, season two. Hey, welcome back. We are a brother-sister duo where we talk about the nostalgic films that we grew up with. I am the filmmaker. Orion, on the other hand, is not, but he loves a bit of film chit-chat with me, of course. Yeah, it's good stuff. We might have only had about a week break, who knows? Yeah, well, we're efficient. We are. <laughs> We're very efficient. So, uh, we are quite efficient people. But, you know, yeah, I'm excited. First season done, and now we're jumping straight back in. I know. I hope people have enjoyed the first season. Yeah. Have you enjoyed the first season, Jake? I loved it. Um, I was well up for it. And when, you know, for those of you that don't know, Cassia suggested, you know, starting this. And I was just like, yeah, of course. <laughs> Why not? I've always wanted to do a podcast, and, yeah, it is the best thing to do it about, because we both have such a passion for it, so... Yeah, there's very few topics I could do a podcast on. It's either films, friends. Uh, <laughs> Diverse. <laughs> yeah, and that's kind of it, really, to be honest. Um, so are we starting a friends podcast? No. I'm sure that's been done. Oh, that's been done. So There are so many ones. There must like, be there's nothing so new many. I can bring to the table, really, yeah. I can't say. Uh, apart from my amazing impressions, obviously. Mm. But we found a little bit of a niche in our nostalgic movies. I don't think... I think, so. I think with the filmmaker aspect as well. Mm-hmm. So hopefully, I think, the last episode where I actually talked about becoming a filmmaker, hopefully people who are actually really interested in filmmaking and going on that journey, hopefully that might have been, you know, a little helpful thing to listen to and inspirational who knows but also about the reality of how it's tough and how you just have to keep on going and look for those little nuggets of luck <laughs> if you can look for luck i don't know some wise words of wisdom from uh, cassia there. that's me but also mm. to all the new people out there hello um hello hello <laughs> my name is cassia and my brother orion mm-hmm. is the person speaking on the other side hello and um, see ya on the other side. See ya on the other side. <laughs> and that's a quote from a, a movie which we're going to discuss today. Um, oh, that's quite nice, isn't it? But also we should say that Orion is also referred to as Jiggy, so mm. don't be confused if I call him Jiggy or Jigs or whatever. It's just a nickname he's had since he was yay young. You know what, though? I think you've been fairly... I think you've been pretty cognizant about calling me Orion Have during I? the podcast. Yeah, every time I'm listening to the edits, I'm like, oh, she always is referring to me by Orion. Wow. I wasn't even trying, but there you go. It's obviously wow. sub sub uh, subterranean. That's not the word. Subterranean, <laughs> underground. It's a <laughs> going no, underground. Sub, I don't know. Something or something. Subconscious. That's the That's word. That's what we're looking That's for. That's the word. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, well, before we jump into our episode, I saw something really fun on Twitter the other day and it made me think. Um, it was a tweet by Ali Plum and he was saying, what sort of quote or line from a movie do you use in your everyday or just always say? So for me, I was thinking, I always have these two. Whenever I'm walking up a stairs or staircase, mm. I go, up, up, up the stairs we go <laughs> from Lord of the Rings. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always doing that. And then the other one I always say for, so, for no reason is... When people say, is that necessary? I always go, necessary? Is it necessary for me to drink, <laughs> drink my, my own, own urine? urine? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Which dodgeball. is from Dodgeball. And they're doing a Dodgeball 2. Dodgeball 2, too. yeah, Dodgeball 2. I saw the news about that. But just Vince Vaughn is confirmed. He's the only one attached, yeah. Yeah. But I, I bet they'll get the others to come and do it. It's, it, it's just kind of like a domino effect a lot of the time, where it's like, if you get one person then people tend to... Yeah, they need to just get that extra one more and then it kind of... Because also you don't want to be like the only one that doesn't turn up and ruin the party. Yeah, exactly. If Ben Stiller doesn't go along with it, it kind of makes sense because I guess he was like the antagonist for the first film and they could make a new antagonist for the the second or whatever. Which I would assume they would do. Yeah, maybe I'll do a cameo or something. Probably. Yeah. 
Wyatt Goodman, Shiny Shoes. <laughs> I feel like Dodgeball's going to have to be a movie throwback. Oh, we're going to do that at some point, for sure. Love it. Dodgeball's not all we're talking about today. No, we're not talking about Dodgeball. Oh, but before we move on, are there any film lines or quotes that you use in your oh, everyday? Um, I've got kind of thrown this on you. Well, you know what? If you can't think of one right now, we'll come back to it next week. Well, I was going to say, actually, you know, you said, see ya on the other side. Okay. I actually do use that in my <laughs> everyday. Like, I genuinely say that to people. Love it. Probably um, the cringiest thing they've ever heard, but... You know. Well, no, it's from not necessarily the most famous Disney film. It's from The Emperor's New Groove. Mm. And we are talking about Disney today. Yeah. We always seem to start, I mean, we've only had one season, but we always seem we, to start with these big hitters. We always seem to start <laughs> with the big hitters here. So we had Pixar last last time, and now this time it's going to be about the Disney Renaissance period. Mm. But with also including the hand-drawn animated features from the post-Renaissance era because Mm -hmm. we found, we were discussing this and we think they kind of fall into a difficult category because when those ones were coming out, so like Princess and the Frog, Mm -hmm. Brother Bear, things like that, they were venturing into the world of CGI and then it kicked off, you know, the era after it, which was kind of like the revival era with Frozen and I think it started, yeah, Tangled was the first one. Yeah, that kind of kicked it off, but... alongside those films you've got these few and far between hand-drawn animated disneys and it's kind of where do we fit those in so we've included up to princess and the frog yeah. in our disney renaissance slash a bit of post disney renaissance period that and i always today. think it's kind of a shame because yeah the disney renaissance is so well established and i'm sure we'll go into this more but just to say like it's a shame because you know the likes of brother bear and princess and the frog and even, like, Emperor's New Groove, I would say, that those kind of go under the radar a bit. Mm. Like, even though Princess and the Frog, there is a Disney princess in there, I still feel like the film itself goes a bit under the radar because it doesn't fit into that sort of renaissance period. Yeah. So, so it, was, it was essential that we included them, I think. Yeah, so we're including them. So any Disney diehard fans out there, believe me, we know that when we're talking about Lilo <laughs> and Stitch, it's not in the renaissance period, yeah, we know. Yeah, yeah. But we're just, for the for the fun of it, Throwing them in there, here we go. I mean, there's so many Disney films we had to. Oh yeah, there's so many. And this is why we're not doing just a generic Disney one, because there's so many films. And we're going to approach it from from a bit of a different angle today. We're not going to do our top five favourites. We're actually, I'm going to be throwing out some categories Mm. for me and Orion to discuss and debate what, you know, we think the best of the Renaissance is. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of films in the Renaissance time. Oh, yeah, for sure. But I guess we could start off with a bit of a history lesson. What is the Renaissance period? Why do people refer to it as as such? Mm. So the very brief version of the story is, in the 70s and 80s, Disney was struggling as a studio. It had been 20 years since their last, you know, successful Disney princess movie. And they kind of were losing their identity and struggling on the way animators from Disney were leaving and they were doing their own films. There was one very famous animator from Disney, but he went off and did The Land Before Time, which was a really big, successful movie in the 80s animated film. And that was the most successful film of that decade until The Little Mermaid came out. Animation-wise. Animation-wise, yeah. So Disney were sort of flapping around, being like, okay, we need to go back to our roots, like, let's revisit a fairy tale and let's let's do one of those and then obviously they got Alan Menken in who you know completely transformed the music and he's honestly just a musical genius yeah and from doing Little Mermaid that kicked off a series of hits for Disney where they kind of followed that same 
formula. Yeah, it was a formula. It's yeah, definitely a formula. formula. Definitely um, a formula. But then within that, they obviously were very creative and created some great films. And that then became more diverse over time through mm-hmm. the Renaissance and beyond. Yeah. So there's your little intro into why it's called the Renaissance. What, what the last film that they had done to big success was? I mean... Well, I'm trying to remember. In the, I remember like some of the films you have before the Renaissance in like this difficult era was like The Black Cauldron, which... I don't know if I've seen that. I don't think I've even seen that. Um, Oliver and Company. I've seen that the, maybe once. Yeah, I've seen that. Basically, since the you know sixties, where they had they had so many hits in you know fifties and sixties. Yeah, yeah. Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty, Hundred One Dalmatians, Lady Jungle and the Book. Tramp, Jungle Book. It was all that was a whole era, and then yeah. yeah, after that, it kind of died a bit of a death until they rejuvenated and brought back the Renaissance. And Renaissance just means rebirth, revitalized. Yeah. And probably go. for the best because they they did a good job, and maybe maybe if they had kept making films across that time to success they would have just sort of fallen a bit into a a whatever yeah and and but actually because they had to revitalize basically to save the studio i assume Mm -hmm. you know they came up with really creative stuff and really good stuff actually it probably will be helpful for me to just read out a list of all the films yeah go for it in the renaissance and the post ones we're including all that we're including in this list all that we're including, yeah. yeah. Cool. We should say, though, that we're not including any Disney animated sequels that were made during that time. So, you know, for example, Lion King one and a half, we're not including that. You know, there's a whole other conversation we could do about sequels. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we've got The Little Mermaid kicked it all off in 1989. The Rescuers Down Under was in 1990, which is one of those ones that does go very under the radar, I think. Beauty and the Beast, 1991, mm. the only uh, Disney film in this era to get a Best Picture nomination for the Oscars. Wow. And notably, this is before they had Best Animation Picture Oscar. Yeah, not even Best Animation, this is Best Picture. Then we had Aladdin, 1992, mm-hmm. The Lion King, 1994, yep. Pocahontas, 1995, Hunchback of Notre Dame, 96, Hercules, 97, Mulan, 98, Tarzan, 99, Emperor's New Groove, 2000, Love it. <laughs> I love how you sort of looked up just to see, like, are we going to acknowledge, acknowledge the Empress Negro? <laughs> uh, then we've got Atlantis, 2001. Oh, yes. Treasure Planet, 2002. Mm. Lilo and Stitch, 2002 as well. Tugging at the heartstrings. Tugging at the heartstrings. Yeah. Brother Bear, 2003. Home on the Range, 2004. Princess and the Frog, 2009. Mm. I just said to Jiggy outside, do you remember Home on the Range? And we both just have the image of the advert for it. And yeah. I can't like, remember what video or DVD that was on for an advert. Lilo and Stitch, maybe? No, it could have been Brother Bear, actually. Yeah. I think it was Brother Bear. Which one did we... We thought it was Emperor's New Groove. And then we no, thought, no, that's no, too that's early. Not too, that's too early. So it was definitely Brother Bear. Because I we watched Brother, Brother Bear. Bear a lot. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember watching Brother, Brother Bear a lot. And I suppose... I don't know if this is going to happen, but I'm just making a prediction that our choices for the, you know, the questions that we've got will probably be influenced by the fact that you would have watched some of the earlier ones maybe a bit more. Because, yeah. Just because, obviously, you're a bit older than I am. So I, I remember distinctly watching the ones from the 2000s a lot more than the ones from yeah. the 90s. And that makes sense. And, I mean, this is a nostalgic podcast, so it's, you know, what you find more nostalgic. But I have tried to be very unbiased as much as possible like with my answers I've been trying to think actually okay what is the best song or what is the best score and all some of the answers I have or 
ones that I think should be in contention, they aren't necessarily my favourite, from my favourite film, no. or, uh, you know, a song that I love necessarily, but I just think, actually, is the best. Yeah, and, and I feel like I'm trying to do the same. So, well, there we go. I think this would be a good debate, because we haven't compared answers, no. but we've um, discussed what the topics are going to be, and I have a f- kind of a few options for all of them, mm-hmm. so we can sort of throw out what we think and I know the thing with Disney is that people do relate to them from their childhood yeah. so everyone's always really passionate about the one that they think is the best and you know the one they love the most mm. and we hear you we we know that there are going to be people that don't agree this with all these controversial this could be controversial but you know I said I think we've tried to be quite fair and I mean I'll tell you now Home on the Range isn't in any of my topics <laughs> so if you love Home on the Range I'm so so sorry if you love sort of Treasure Planet as well I'm so, so sorry. I remember Home <laughs> You don't get Range. much love. <laughs> well, like you said, I remember the trailer for Home in the Range a lot better than I do the film. <laughs> <laughs> we, we must, I think I've seen Home in the Range. No, we've but... definitely seen it, but like, just once, maybe. Yeah. Oh, well. So, you know. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> no, write in, let us know if you love Home on the Range and you think we should do a dedicated episode to we'll it. give you a shout out. Don't we'll worry. give you a shout out, exactly, on the next episode. That's big respect, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, but... To get myself into the mindset of Disney films, mm-hmm. and to just remind myself of some that I hadn't seen recently, last night I actually watched Hercules and then Aladdin. So, nice. you know, I'm in the brain space here. Mm-hmm. I think I'm in the brain space as well. I watched a couple, like, that I wasn't super familiar with, and then some I just don't need to watch because I'm like, yeah, I pretty much know them. Back to heart. Uh, back to heart. Back to heart. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all ears. <laughs> Always is. Always is. Um, what was back to heart meant to be? <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know. By heart. Yeah, it was by heart and back to front. That's what I was... That's what I mixed up. Uh, You missed us on the podcast yet, obviously. Oh, yeah. All right, well, let's dive in. We're for a whole season. Yeah, we are. Let's dive into our first category. Okay. And now, Disney is famous for its villains. Mm. And the first category we're going to get hit with is scariest villain. Scariest. Out of the movies from Renaissance and a bit of post-Renaissance. Scariest villain out of those. Just to clarify, we're not saying best villain. We're saying scariest villain. Exactly. I've kind of done this where I've tried to, you know, get a few more colours in there in terms of the categories. I feel that. So I have a few that I've written down as the scariest villain, but the one I actually think is definitely the scariest out of my three I've got written down is Shan Yu from Mulan. So scary. Big guy, those black piercing eyes. He just appears. Mm -hmm. And he's ruthless. He's violent. He's horrible. But kind of that silent scariness. Yeah. I think Shan Yu is is one of the most terrifying villains. No mercy. He's just... No, no. Oh, and the bit where he pops his hand out of the snow and he, like, crawls up. And he's like, we better bring the doll back to the girl in the mountains. With that evil smile, you know. He's just going to kill them. And the first introduction is is really cool where there's two, um, like, lookouts. It's on the Great Wall of yeah, China. Yeah, on the Great Wall of China. And then he turns around or, like, gets stopped by Shan Yu. Mm. And it's just, like, this, like, imposing figure yeah. who just comes in. And he's, like, this, like, jet black hair. Yeah. And just, like, super muscly, super bulky, really dark eyes. It is quite intimidating. Yeah, and he's not one of those villains in a Disney film. You know, we have a lot of villains which you there, like, monologuing. I'm, I watched... The Incredibles the other day. <laughs> I was about to say that. And that's one of my favourite quotes, actually. <laughs> you sly dog. You got, got me monologuing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, sorry. We're not talking about Pixar. Um, but the thing is, is that Shan Yu doesn't say much. No. And he doesn't narrate 
oh, I'm going to do this, going to do this, and la 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 la. It's very, uh, he's quite like an internalised villain in terms mm. of his thought process and, oh, he's creepy, scary, yeah. I think, up there. as probably my scariest villain, I think. So, my scariest villain is one that actually I've only thought about more recently. Mm. Is actually Dr. Facilier. Oh, yeah, Princess I've got him Frog. written down as an option as well. So... The thing is, I wouldn't say, like, Dr. Facilier himself is, like, scary. But, and maybe I'm stretching scariest villain with this. It's, like, all the theatrics he uses. Mm -hmm. Or maybe animation comes into play and helps him out. But it's also, like, his whole vibe um, and all the spirits that he conjures up. And it just creates this really, like, scary atmosphere. Yeah, I remember watching Princess and Frog quite recently so I didn't watch it when it came out I watched it maybe last year or two years ago mm. and I was even getting scared like all the Night of the Living Dead yeah, feeling yeah. stuff and the bit where it's like the reprise and he gets killed by his own magic or whatever he gets like dragged down yeah, into yeah, the underworld yeah. they, they like take him because he doesn't make the payment <laughs> yeah 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 Frog's so pretty scary but I mean yeah Princess and the Frog itself is just uh, great um, but like yeah Dr. Facilier just really elevates it because of how scary he is, I think. Yeah. But, I mean, I think that Sean Yu is scarier than him, for Fair sure. Enough. But I do have another one which I think is quite scary. Mm. So I went to Paris with a friend at the start of this year, and we decided in France we were going to watch the French film. So we watched Hunchback of Notre Dame, nice. Beauty and the Beast, and Ratatouille, of course. Um, <laughs> but so I haven't seen Notre Dame since I was a kid, and we actually left the cinema because I was too scared. <laughs> Really? <laughs> when I was a kid and we watched it. Um, it's quite a tough message in the film. It's it's a pretty horrible one. And Frollo, the villain in it, is actually really scary when he sings all about his hellfire. And <laughs> yeah. i say he's like an honourable mention for me. Right. Frollo from Not I mean, Notchdown. I, I don't have, like, the best memory of Hunchback, I would say. But, like, what I remember from it is actually thinking the villain was quite... I don't know if I would say scary, but, like intimidating pretty disturbing yeah think. pretty disturbing also i think the vibe of the film just sort of abusing you know um quasimodo is just just kind of a horrible message and i think that adds to the sort of fear of the villain i mean it's based on a story by the guy who wrote les miserables so you know it's right. not the perfect material for <laughs> i would say uh, not, uh, not many disney films are to be honest but <laughs> well, well let's go to something lighter then funniest villain funniest who gives you the laughs who gives you the lols well that's what we want to know. I mean, I'm going to say Yzma. <laughs> I was going to say we probably have the same one. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's tough, isn't it? Because, and you know what? Actually, I'm not going to shy away from just loving Emperor's New Groove. Go I don't it. even care. Yzma's jokes. <laughs> <laughs> like, what the? How long has that been there? And she's Very just lettuce. got this, like, lettuce in her teeth. And it's just like, everything she just does is hilarious. Yzma as a character is very great. Hilarious. Yes, yeah. Very silly. I think we probably do have a bit of a bias because it is both of our favourite films. Mm -hmm. So I've got a few other options of other villains I do think are quite funny as well. I yeah. think Ursula from The Little Mermaid mm -hmm. is... Like, maybe as a kid you find her quite scary, but now as an adult I sort of rewatched it. And she's just hilarious. And like, She is quite funny. Some of the lines from her song happened. as well. They were joking when they called me well a witch. <laughs> but... Humor in there. Uh, and she she's laugh. quite like sly, but in like a funny way. Is it especially yeah. quite over the top? Really. Yeah, I mean, exactly. All Disney villains, I guess, are apart from mm. Shan Yu. Like I said, I think he's actually kind of more naturalistic, even though he's a drawing, which is why he's scarier. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it, with Shan Yu, it is like you know, 
that could actually be a person. Yeah, exactly. You know, Whereas like, Ursula is like so over the top. Funny. It's so funny. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and another one I know lots of people like Hades from Hercules. He does actually bring something to life about the film, and he is a funny villain. I I, I could see why people would like Hades. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So we've got our scariest villain, our funniest yeah. villain, mm-hmm. and now here we go. Best villain song. They've got some belters coming out. I just said a bit from Poor Unfortunate Souls by uh, Ursula from Little Mermaid. Mm -hmm. I've got two here. Mm -hmm. Best villain song. Scar, Be Prepared. Be Prepared. Oh, yes. (laughs) It's a bit where the hyenas walk by and they go, hi, hi, hi. I was just doing a little yeah, dance. I see the dance. It's not as it's not as emotive as when they do it in the film. You don't me. say. <laughs> no, 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 no. It was a good demonstration. Yeah, um, and know he's like in the caves, and like you got the. It's like it, it's not really in a volcano, but you've got the stuff shooting up, mm. uh, the heat, and I mean Scar as a villain is is one of the best. I think. We haven't done, like, an overall best villain. If we had an overall best villain, maybe I'd put Scar in there. But that song, Jeremy Irons, is a great song. It really builds up his character and his ambition. And it's one of those villain songs where you can take it seriously and it is scary. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, some of the other villain songs are a bit sillier and funnier. Whereas it's quite heart-pounding. Very authoritarian. Yeah, and you can see his craziness becoming, you know, ambition to become the king. Yeah. yeah. So I think Lion King Be Prepared is one of my favourite best villain songs. I mean, I think that and Scar is like, sort of... He's such a good villain because this tale of betrayal is so hard-hitting. It's something that audiences, I think like, all audiences will understand what betrayal means. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, it's so widespread as an understood emotion, and it, and it hits so hard when it happens. So I think that's what makes Scar, like, really a really good villain, because his motivation and what he does is so impactful. So, yeah, that song's really good. Um, I'm actually thinking, from my side, that it's probably going to be Ursula's song. Oh really? Yeah, because I watched it, I rewatched it recently, and I just thought, you know what? Actually, it's kind of funny. You like it's, <laughs> it's like it's, it's, but it's also a good song. And and you know, one thing from Little Mermaid, it's got many good songs, but actually, that one stands out as one I didn't really remember as well. And then upon hearing again, I just thought, actually, it it like shows how the character acts really well. It's a really well written song, both lyrically and musically. It's just really good. So that that's actually going to be mine, I'd say. Yeah. Amazing. Love it. Love it. I do have one other best villain song, which I'm going to put in honourable mention. Okay. So we've got, I think Be Prepared is my favourite, or I think is the best. Mm-hmm. And then the next one is because it's actually really scary. And this is also one of my all-time favourite Disney movies, this one. <laughs> but it's Kill the Beast from Beauty and the Beast. And it's really, I think why it's so scary is, because Gaston, he's obviously a villain. He is a great villain. I haven't put him in any of the categories or, you know, I don't think he's top, top. Mm. Because he is, he is that kind of stereotype macho guy. But I think when he sings Kill the Beast, he really becomes animalistic and horrible, which is what they're saying. The Beast is an animal and all this. Right, right. But he becomes, and, you know, he's manipulating the crowd. And it is, again, that authoritarianism vibe. Yeah. And it's just really scary. And he's like, oh, the beast will come after your children and la 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 in the song. And, you know, they're banging on the castle it's as they go there and it's all the fire and kill the beast, mm-hmm. kill the beast. And it's just, ugh. 
So I think Kill the Beast is the other villain song I think is a top villain song. Mm-hmm. Maybe you wouldn't call it Gaston's song because obviously there's the no one is like Gaston, which is maybe you'd call that his villain song. Right. But Kill the Beast, just as a song, which is villainous in itself, I suppose. Is that's interesting. Yeah, is top for me. So okay. that's why it's my honourable mention. Nice. Next category. Let's go next category. What's the next one? Best villain henchman. I mean... Crunk. It's got to be crunk, <laughs> hasn't it? My spinach pops. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I just can't think of any other henchman that even comes close. In terms of funniness. Yeah, in terms of not yeah. just funniness, but also just, like, relevance. Like, Yeah, yeah, he is really important to the plot. He's doing his own theme music. And he's like, no, no, he's uh, got a point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, there's, there's so many great lines that he has, and actually, the role in the story that Crunk plays, yeah, is much more impactful mm-hmm. than any other like sidekick to you know villain. Like, yeah, absolutely. Because it's up to you know at the end he has that moral choice. She's like, you know, you do the job, Crunk, and throws in the the sword or the knife, and yeah. he's like, oh, I don't know what to do, and then he changes his mind. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't successful in trying to wipe out um, Yzma, but never mind. Yeah, yeah. He uh, had his heart in the right place. And yeah, he has actually a big development compared to a lot of the henchmen. I think it's great because he's not like, he's not following Yzma because he's like evil in the way that Yzma is. Whereas I feel like a lot of the henchmen across like pretty much all the Disney films do that. They sort of follow along. Like it, let's say, for example, we were taking the hyenas from Lion King. They're following along because they are also kind of by their nature evil. But Crunk's not like that. Mm. Crunk is actually not evil, but it's just sort of there because he's just sort of... He, what's the word? You know, he gets not manipulated, but he's like easily led on. Yeah. Like, you know, he can... He's just sort of is going with the flow. Yeah. And Yzma's just the one that hired him. So, you know, he's just there. Yeah. He's like he's not by nature evil, and that's mm. what I think makes him like a really great depth of character. Yeah, and it's not like he's really scared of Isma because there's a whole bunch of their villain henchmen which are just terrified of them, so like pain and panic. Yeah, but then you've got so like the parrot in Aladdin who just seems to be evil and horrible as well. Yeah, exactly. Reasons. I mean, they're just they're just evil. They're just there. Yeah. You know. So, um, yeah, I would agree that I think I don't know. Are we biased here, but yeah, yeah Kronk is. I don't think that's necessarily a biased attitude, though, because, like... I, we have I, a good reason, I think. Yeah, I why. think that that's what I mean, is we have really good reason. I, I think it would be difficult for anyone to convince me that Kronk was not, whereas there might be arguments of things I like in Emperor's New Groove, where I'm like, okay, maybe some other films have done it better, potentially. Yeah. But I think that actually is, like, a solid... Yeah. Good job. Kronk is a great <laughs> yeah, henchman. Like, Kronk is just so good. Yeah, and he has a lot more screen time as well than a lot of other henchmen. Which He's is probably why... Oh, <laughs> this had better be good. <laughs> <laughs> which is why he gets that development, because he has more of that screen time. Yeah. Cool. Well, now we're getting to a very contentious subject, which oh. is best ballad. I've got the big four on my list, and I still haven't quite decided which one I'm going to pick best number one. Ballad. Um... Can I tell you what my the four that I would say I struggle choosing between? Yeah, maybe see if the one I'm thinking of is in there. Okay, so they're from the pure Renaissance time. Yeah, <laughs> right, I right, say? Right, right. The pure Renaissance. I was, I that uh, well, not our post one. Mm-hmm. Um, so the best ballads for me are Beauty and the Beast from Beauty and the Beast, Colors of the Wind from Pocahontas, Part of Your World from Little Mermaid, and Whole New World from Aladdin. 
A lot of worlds in there. I struggle between those four so badly because I actually think they are all such great songs. What was the last one again? Whole New World. Whole New World. What was the one before that, sorry? <laughs> <laughs> I could just read them out again. Yeah, so read them out again because... You and the Beast. Yeah. Colours of the Wind. Yeah. Part of Your World. Part of Your World. Whole New World. Whole New World. Oh, it's because I was getting confused between Part of Your World and Whole New World. I was just like... How do you get confused? No, 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 not confused. It's just like, because you said world so many times, my head was just <laughs> like, oh. Um, so how about I say mine? Go for and it. And maybe that will help clarify your own Yeah, okay, you, you go first. Okay. So... I think I'm gonna give a two part answer here. Alright. I'm gonna say Beauty and the Beast is the best one. It is just like I'm nodding along in the background. Uh, yeah, I mean Beauty and the Beast mm. it is so the melody, the instrumentation, the emotion, it is I would say by far like the best one. Mm. I but I would say I have an answer for what I would say is the most iconic song. Ooh. So if we've have we got that as a separate question? No, but you go for it. So now. I'm going to say the most iconic song mm. is "Part of Your World" mm. from Disney because I mean, you only need to play do 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 like and people instantly know it's like that's part of your world. Yeah, you know, like it's so iconic that that motif is so iconic. I think people would recognize that way more than anything else true yeah i think that's a really fair comment actually yeah it's, how does that how does that make you feel about your decision making uh <laughs> no as in i don't know i feel like in my heart view and the beast is probably my favorite ballad because it comes from one of my favorite disney movies and it's such a great song and i've heard so many different people sing it. You've got very famous singers who sang it, Angela Lansbury in the movie. Mm. And it actually, no matter who's singing it, it's, it's that melody and it really catches you in the words and it's really emotive mm -hmm. and really beautiful. And I like that, actually. It's a ballad from a movie where, you know, the princess isn't singing it herself or, you know, it's actually almost like from a narrator's perspective and yet it's still that emotive. It's like non-diegetic, isn't it? No, she does it... sing it. The teapot does sing it oh, does like, in the room, yeah. Oh. But it has oh, that yeah, sense because yeah. it's not, like, focused on her. So I feel like I probably want to say my probably my real answer is Beauty and the Beast. But I really do feel like really need to shout out to Colours of the Wind. That's such a beautiful song. And, like, the chorus in that is amazing. Mm -hmm. Have you ever heard the wolf cry to the blue cold yeah. blue, blah, blah, blah. I think that's tainted just don't, like... I'm not a big fan of Pocahontas, yeah. and I've never... Well, that's fair enough, but that's why I think we're trying to separate the categories mm. and, like, looking at that as a song objectively. I, I could agree, though, that really it is a good song. song. But it does have the controversial lyrics, which do not hold up very well, in the mm. description of Native American people. Yeah. Which is, you know, it's... It's such a hard one, because the film exists as it exists, and you can't necessarily say, oh, there's something innately wrong... Yeah. with it but i mean even back then i don't really see how they got away with those lyrics it's funny i was watching um aladdin last night and it had the uh the thing at the front of the film where it said you know these have depictions of sort of stereotypical which is what they need that, yeah, that, yeah that's, no, all, no, exactly. that's what it needs really yeah it's just recognizing it and um but then also when i was just saying that i'm thinking of i really do love a whole new world even though it's so cheesy i love it a whole new world. actually if i had to sing any of those songs just on my own, mm -hmm. I probably would be singing A Whole New World. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's my honourable mention at the end of the day. Beauty and the Beast, number one, top, top, top. 
then Whole New World, number two. Well, there you go. Best ballad. Decide. Well, sort of decided. Decided. <laughs> it's hard, but those, those, all the four that I said, really great ballads, great songs. Like, they are I can't the contend. most iconic. Them, the most iconic across almost all of Disney, I would say. Yeah. Like even if you're including Sleeping Beauty and Cinderella, like those are the big ones. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we're still in the music space. Good. 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 Best score. Mm. So this is different to best soundtrack or best song. Mm-hmm. Best score, and I have. I have a my fave fave favorite lave as number one, mm-hmm. really, yeah. which is Beauty and the Beast because right. I just think the score is amazing. Like outside of the music, yeah. the score and the feeling, and it's like even with all the stuff that happens at the castle in the end after Kill the Beast, and it, oh, it ramps up so beautifully. But I've been a bit of a convert because mm-hmm. I have a friend who's very musically minded. Right. We've spoken about on this podcast before, mm-hmm. and she was the one that said we need to watch Hunchback of Notre Dame in Paris. Because obviously it was well, I mean, it's not good. And uh, I hadn't seen it for ages, and I was like, well, I guess I'll watch it if I have to. And she was saying about how amazing the score is from a musical perspective, mm. and the way they use the motifs. And I know a lot of people who are very musically minded saying, objectively, the score to Hunchback is incredible mm. and one of the best, if not the best. And that's my honourable mention because listening to it, it, wow, it's really powerful the composition of it, the way it comes out and in through the story and mm. the motifs repeat and it amps up at certain points. So my honourable mention is Hunchback of Notre Dame, but Beauty and the Beast is my favourite score. Okay. Um, so I think this is potentially a very difficult one to answer. Maybe not even more, but almost as difficult to answer as the previous question. So I would say that it's either, for me, between Beauty and the Beast or... Now I'm thinking of two. Now I'm thinking either Mulan or Tarzan. But uh, Tarzan's more, not so much necessarily like... Well, I would maybe count Tarzan as soundtrack. If you're thinking yeah, of the song. Yeah, Don't yeah. think of the song, just think so of the score, the, the instrumentation. All right. I really like the score of Mulan. Mm-hmm. I think it creates a really nice atmosphere throughout the entire film. And yeah, it just brings in a lot of emotion. But having said that, you're probably, probably, I would agree with you with Beauty and the Beast. The other point I'd make is that, like you did with Hunchback of Notre Dame, I watched it not not that recently, but fairly recently, I'd say a couple of years ago. And I was also taken by how good it was. And I, I didn't remember it being that good. And I think, like, not just as a film how good it was, but, like, the, the score really elevated that. Mm. I just remember thinking, wow, this sounds great. So, you know, I wasn't even paying as much attention as I could have been as, you know, when you were watching it with your friend and having her point out all these things about it. Like, I was just noticing that. Love it. Well, jumping ship, not really totally jumping ship, but best soundtrack now. Best soundtrack. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Best soundtrack, Tarzan. I love a bit of Phil Collins. Love the songs in that. The soundtrack is so great. Well, I don't know much about music, to be honest, but for some reason I really like Phil Collins' Genesis and then hence seem to be liking all the Phil Collins oh, songs think... in these movies as well. So there you go. I don't think you're alone in liking Phil Collins. Oh, like, there you go. That's in, great like, then. Everyone loves Phil Collins and it's like universally known that it's like, there's like that meme of like, Phil, why do you have to go so hard on Tarzan? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like they literally ask for like oh, some God, film so about a monkey man and, and then you just <laughs> come into all these bangers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so... But then the other soundtrack, which, and maybe this is like, 
kind of a mix between not necessarily soundtrack but like kind of overall songs in the film okay. but also soundtracky as well yeah is the lion king just i think oh it's hard to deny the lion king it's just it? got banger banger all the time yeah. you know elton oh, john i just can't wait yeah i mean there's but so just many. like the circle of life and like you know all the songs just great apparently circle of life was done in one take well great as in like first take they just they just Bam, got we got it bang they did it and it was like whoa yeah, sometimes you don't want to mess with a good thing. Exactly. You want to get the raw emotion and power. Yeah. I love it. And it does have power, The Lion King. You know, it's so... Iconic. I, I, yeah, I just think, like, in terms of songs from a film, like you said, like, people go to The Lion King for a reason. Like, mm. they're all so good. Yeah. And and it is all so powerful. So I, I would say my answer is is going to be... Lion King over Tarzan, but Tarzan is that close second. I also really like Brother Bear's music, but I know it's, you do. it's partially because Phil Collins also did yeah. Brother Bear. So <laughs> he does. You know, I mean, basically, what we're saying is we like Phil Collins. Yeah. So he does a good Disney movie. Yeah, he's, and good songs outside of it. Yeah, well. no, I mean, he's just really good in general. Um, yeah. Well, then we've talked about the ballads mm-hmm. and uh, you know scores and whatnot, but also want to throw in there, you know, what's like the best up tempo song that you think could be a singular character or like a group song um, i love make a man out of you from mulan right let's get down to business to defeat mm, mm, the hunt yeah there you go this is gonna turn into some karaoke but i do i want to give a shout out to other music from little mermaid as well because i think under the sea is a really great song as well. <laughs> i was about to sing it but I'll <laughs> yeah i was good i was like it is really good yeah you know i've whipped out a few songs to be honest but then also even from mulan there are some other great songs which i love is um, bring honour to us mm-hmm. all. And, but anyway, I've been trying not to put my own personal opinion in the, in the music stuff, which is why I haven't spoken loads about Mulan. Mm-hmm. But for this one, best up-tempo song, I've got to throw Mulan in there. Yeah, There it is, Make a Man Out of You. Fair enough. It's a really good one, for sure. Uh, yeah, and also, like, the whole scene of Make a Man Out of You is just really oh, good as well. Don't like, even. It's just, oh, I don't <laughs> want to get Cassia started. Oh, no, I'll start about it, and we don't have time for it. Um... All right, well, all I'll say on it is I agree, it's a really, really good one. Um, there's one which isn't, like, super up-tempo, but it's kind of happy. Oh, we'll go with it. Um, Throw it in there. And it's from Lilo and Stitch. Oh, yeah. The one where it's Is that the roller like, coaster ride one, they say? The one there is where... No one to rather be that one. That's it. Yeah, that one, that one. That's the one. It's really good. The soundtrack in general and the score and everything, I think, gets overshadowed because... It's not so... It's not really known as a musical either. Yeah, exactly. So what I think that does is it means people don't necessarily pay attention to its music as much as they should. Mm. Whereas I felt like, actually, it's really nice. The instrumentation is really nice. and It's vibes. It's vibes. It's just straight vibes. And like that song in particular, I just was listening to it and I was like, you know what? It gives that sense of like, you know, comfort and introduction and... And just happiness, like it's just yeah. happy. I love it. You know, so it's it's not like super upbeat, yeah. but like it's it's uplifting and happy. Yeah. yeah, I feel like there's a lot of people that will have their opinions on this one. Like yeah. there are so many you could pick. Be our guest, one jump, whatever, hero to zero. Like there are so many songs you could yeah, pick. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just re- it really is your opinion, isn't it? At the there's end of the day, so many. it's kind of hard to be just objective with that one there is evil and dictators political well, exactly. well, I don't know who would pick them <laughs> apart from maybe us but anyway it's funny I mean people don't 
wouldn't recognise that. No, no, no. But Tom Jones making a big appearance. Yeah, he is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> nice. Cool, we're actually in our last bit in the music segment here. Okay. Not necessarily best song or best score or anything, but it's like the best music moment slash scene. Like, mm-hmm. if it could be that there's a song in it or, like, music's used in some way. So I'll give you an example. Yeah. One of the most powerful moments that me and my partner both think in Mulan is the bit where she cuts her hair yeah. and the music's like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's like going and cutting her hair, putting her hair thing down, getting her horse, getting the, the armor, and, and the armor opens. Yeah. Like that's one of the most like powerful moments in the film, and I think that is really elevated because the music is so like, you know, yeah. powerful. Yeah, there are so many moments, but that's like one that sticks out in my mind that I love. Mm-hmm. And then my second option would be it actually is a song. But it's the genie never had a friend like me. But I think it's because it's elevated so much by Robin Williams's impressions and right. performance. Yeah. Um. Oh God, I can't. I was about to go Please into. Don't like, start talking about Robin Williams too much again. No, no, no. <laughs> I was going to go into like why I think elements of the genie were unsuccessful in the remake, and I think it was trying to sort of do what Robin Williams did instead of going with and Will Smith's own humor and like cleverness. But I'm not. I can't get into. I can't get into the remakes. That's gonna to have to be a whole other. We, episode. Yeah, we 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 are gonna to have to dedicate I, some yeah, time to that. I can't speak. That I is... can't speak on that. But then there is one other sort of music moment scene element that I do want to mention. Mm-hmm. Hercules. I do think any element or moments with the muses, particularly, mm. are really great. Yeah. And the animation stuff is really cool. But anyway, so that the Mulan cutting her hair is like iconic, and then those are the other two things I wanted to say. So the the problem. And I, I want to mention this now because you brought it up. The problem I have with Hercules and its music. So I don't. Not, I'll try and discount the other, the reasons I don't necessarily love Hercules that much in, in general. But in its music, yes, it's really good. Like I, I don't think it's like bad. But what I struggle with Hercules is, I don't feel like thematically the gospel makes sense with Hercules. Mm. So, although I like listening to it. And the muses are really amazing singers and the songs are really upbeat and really fun to listen to. You know, it's really exciting. I actually, I'm always sort of thinking like, actually, does this make sense? Like, I don't know for me if I think mm. it makes that much sense in the film. So oh, that's why I, I struggle like with, it. I struggle with gospel being in But there. maybe it's because those are my favourite bits of the film. Yeah, true. So maybe I'm overlooking maybe if the style doesn't necessarily work. But I mean, I'm not that musically minded so for me, I just kind of accept it on face value, and I'm like, "Cool, there's gospel, but cool music song in this Hercules stories, and I love it." But it's like if you if you take something like Princess and the Frog, for example, mm. set in New Orleans, the whole score is jazz, mm-hmm. and it's like it makes so much sense, and it's done really well. Like both. But then, what other sort of music would it be? Like Hercules in mythical times. What sort of, what sort of songs would you want? Well, no, I know, but it, it doesn't have any sort of you know Greek influences. There's well, what is a Greek influence song? I don't know, and like something that would be mainstream and accessible to everyone as well. Well, no, I know, but I'm saying for me, I don't appreciate it as much because of that. Whereas I can still look at it and go, you know what, they are really good. The singers, the songs are good, and it's fun and all that. But that's what takes it down for me. Right. Um, I think that was the like most debate we've had on this show. I suppose it's it's hard. It's all right, people always say we need to disagree more. So there you go. Yeah, Perfect. no, I mean, excellent, <laughs> excellent. It's what um, we want. <laughs> so, what was the what was the actual question? <laughs> um, best like music moment or like scene or music. You how music okay. is used in the 
scene or the film. Yeah. One of my favourite moments is in Brother Bear, mm. when they start walking together for the first time, the cub and the older bear, and, and they kind of go off on a journey, and then it starts playing, Tell everybody I'm on my way. I knew you were going to say that. Like, <laughs> I was thinking it earlier. I, mean, I know. The thing is, for me, I'm just like... It's chill vibes. <laughs> it's, not, it's not chill vibes. It's like... It is quite chill vibes. <laughs> it's like so happy like so such a warm like yeah. feeling in the moment in the movie because like they're they kind of setting off on their journey and phil collins classic i mean he just comes in and does a great song for mm. it and it's just it's just really nice. It like, is nice i love watching that i love watching that moment from the film it's yeah like one of my favorites and then it, you know it all goes a bit downhill and it's all very sad oh that is a very <laughs> sad film. anyway never mind spoilers <laughs> Spoilers. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, I assume people will have probably seen Brother Bear by now if they... I mean, if they haven't, go watch it. Yeah. Yeah. And ignore what Cassie just said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nobody dies. <laughs> so, we're done with the music. Mm-hmm. And that was, t- that was tough, man, because there are so many good songs, so many great soundtracks, so many, you know, and it's all very subjective. So mm. I've tried, I think we've been quite good at hitting a lot of the different films as well. Yeah. That's why I've tried to be very fair. Like mm. I said, you can rinse me on social media if I haven't been fair. But I tried my best. I tried my best. I mean, it's, it's hard because we are trying to explain what our favourites are, you know, but you're right. We, we, we're also trying to get in there and ex- understand like what's you know appreciate the good stuff well now we're moving more into narrative okay than Let's just music or yeah. character mm-hmm. dialogue best dialogue now me and you are just staring at each other because i think we have the same i've already thought said in mind. 10 of the lines i like. know i know this is where maybe i'm being biased but actually emperor's new groove does have the best dialogue it's so funny so funny all and of it so it's so witty it's so witty it's like I can't begin to... People always ask me, like, oh, why do you like Emperor's New Groove so much? Mostly, they probably haven't seen it. A lot of people just forget that it's a Disney film or just, like, haven't even Mm. seen it as one of the Disney films. And I'm just like, mate, just watch it. Like, it's hilarious. (laughs) Like, you're going to laugh every five seconds. Yeah, it's so good. All the characters are so good, but the way they're written, Mm -hmm. dialogue-wise, is so good. Yeah. So funny. The dynamic... That comes out in the dialogue between Pacha and Cusco, yeah. and then also the dynamic between Isma and Kronk is like di- like diametrically yeah, exactly. like hilarious both sides. That's it. I think it's like the strength across all the characters yeah. and the storyline, and even you know the characters that are you know side characters like Pacha's wife and his kids. They have such great moments. You know, they're like nah, nah, yeah, We'd stay up in bed doing that. it's Um, so good and it's like that bit where so Pacha and Cusco like like escaping from the Panthers or whatever Mm. and then they end up tied to the log and then they they're like having this argument in as they land in the water and then they both completely just stop realize they're approaching a waterfall and it's like let me guess we're about to go over a huge waterfall yeah big rocks at the bottom yep Bring it on. <laughs> Booyah! Booyah! <laughs> oh, dear. That's yeah. so great. And, like, the bit when she's planning his murder and she's like, I'll get this flea and I'll put it in a box. I'll put it in a bigger box. And I'll, I'll mail, mail that, that box to myself. <laughs> <laughs> I'll smash it in there. Brilliant, 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 I'll tell you. Yeah. 
And then she knocks it over and she says, or it's save on postage. I'll just poison him with this. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. And then this is the bit where she like, starts pulling her dress up <laughs> yeah. to reveal We're the knife. expecting and this. They're, <laughs> they're like, Wah. it's like, oh. Phew. It's okay. just a knife. There's <laughs> like, a lot of like, adult humour in there as well. Yeah, I mean, I think I'd be hard pressed to find another Disney film in that period which just doesn't have as good dialogue. No. In terms of like, the quality and the timing and just how well it is written, the dialogue specifically. And that's what I mean. It's, we're not just, we don't just love it because, oh, it's funny and all the other ones are more serious. It's just so well written. Like, yes, there are well. other comedy films which don't have that great writing, whereas this genuinely has amazing yeah. writing. And I think, I don't know if this is a topic as well that we've got as a question, but, like, it's enhanced by the voice acting, I think. Yeah. You know, the, all the voice the voice acting, the casting was so good, and they brought that dialogue. Bit of David even. Spade, bit of John Goodman. Yeah, honestly, it. just like, my God, what a cast. Yeah. I have um, another film which I talk about best dialogue, which actually is, isn't as good as Empress New Groove. I do think Empress New Groove is tippy top. I have put Mulan, but it's only because I, like, think of really funny scenes. From Mushu. Yeah. <laughs> but there we go. We get that. Let's jump then to best sidekick okay. to the protagonist. Yeah. Mushu is one of my best. This <laughs> okay. is so funny. It's um, Eddie Murphy. Yeah. This is before oh, he did Donkey so from Trek. Um, but it's the bit that I was just thinking when he's trying to give her a name to call herself. And he's like, Achu. And she's like, Achu. And he, yeah, he's like, <laughs> <laughs> so good. But there's lots of things I like when he calls um, the horse a cow and things. Dishonor on you, dishonor on your cow. <laughs> I think Mushu is a great sidekick yeah. and really hilarious. So that's probably my favourite. Mm-hmm. But then my special mention is I was watching Aladdin last night and I remember how funny Abu is. And Abu can't use dialogue. But the expressions and, like, the sounds they use. And actually what I thought was really interesting, it really reminded me of, you know, the squirrel in Enchanted. Mm -hmm. They really, I think they so much lifted from the design and, like, how they used Abu. Right, okay. um, The monkey. So I think Abu is a great sidekick. And, again, it's how much they can achieve without the character having any dialogue or, like, being able to say anything. It's just an animal. That's almost like the the pinnacle of animation in a way. Exactly. So that's why Abu has got to be up there with the best sidekick so it's my uh, special mention there so i like mushu but i'd be remiss if and i'm counting him as a sidekick i would be remiss if i didn't say zazu oh well so i've got timon and pumbaa written down oh because Zaz- so zazu was a character i wanted to talk about because i love zazu and i feel like i haven't got like just an iconic character on their own but like if there was a category for that zazu is has got to be there a bit of rowan atkinson i mean uh, he's such a well-placed character to like guide the protagonist, but also work actively against the protagonist when whenever he can. It's almost similar to um, uh, what's the crab's name in Little Mermaid? Sebastian. Oh, Sebastian, yeah, Sebastian. They kind of work in similar ways. Where at the start they aren't really supporting the protagonist, and they they don't really want to help because they want to follow you know the, the king or whatever. And then as they go through the story, they kind of realise and actually support the protagonist. And and also, it's a really nice progression and it's just, oh, Zazu's hilarious. Yeah, I mean, like, Zazu has one of my favourite bits in The Lion King, especially when I was a kid, I used to find it hilarious when he went, I've got a lovely bunch of cookies. <laughs> yeah. Standing in a row, boom, 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 yeah. one small, one some as big as your head. <laughs> so, so I'd have to do the whole thing there. That's all right. But you then also, for. but then also, Timon and Pimba are a great sidekick. That's true. Within the film, and the bit when they do their dance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they yeah. do the performance. You can be a big pig too. 
Oi. Oh, and they have one of the best songs, I think, as well. Yeah, yeah Hakuna Matata. Yeah, yeah, Hakuna Matata is just... Again, that's another that, one. That's, that's one of those upbeat ones that I think should be up there. Yeah. Yeah. But this is why I put Lion King as my second favourite best soundtrack. I think it's really hard to topple Lion King. Yeah. Even with Tarzan. But I guess yeah. for, for me, the reason I say Zazu, I would put him in the sidekick category. It's hard, though, because he's not like... Like, in my head, Timon and Pumbaa are the sidekick to... Simba. Yeah, I see what you're but, saying. But no, I, well, we can just go with it. We'll, we'll, we'll yeah. make our own rules. I mean, uh, Timon and Pumbaa also excellent, so they're up there. Yeah. And all the shame. Was <laughs> <laughs> I changing my name? What's in the name? And I got downhearted every time the name Pumbaa. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I mean, they were such good sidekicks. They got their own movie. But that's the same as Kronk, actually, like, as a great henchman. He's the only one that had, like, Kronk's new groove yeah, and, like, exactly. series and everything. Yeah. So, obviously, they were very well yeah. done. So, done. that ended up being Kronk's new groove, the film, and then they did Emperor's New School, I think, mm-hmm. was the TV show. Maybe. Oh, yeah. I think it was TV show. Something like that. Yeah. I was well, just about that. Yeah, fair enough. Well, we've done best villain, mm-hmm. best henchman, best sidekick. So, you know where we're going now. Protagonist. protagonist. Okay. Oh, yeah. Nice. Nice. And this is actually really difficult. Ooh. So what constitutes the best protagonist? Are you just saying are you saying who goes on like the biggest character arc? Are you just saying who you like the most? Who's like straight out of the gate great the whole time? Like, what are we doing? And um so I've got <laughs> if you be I want you to go first for this one because Okay, I was gonna say something. That potentially I don't think you're going to mention. I'm actually going to say Milo Thatch from Atlantis is one of my mm, favourites. So amazing. we haven't really mentioned Atlantis no, yet. No, yeah, yeah. And I don't think Atlantis actually deserves to be on at the level as a film of all the other ones. For all the reasons we've said so far, music-wise, you know, villain, whatever. But actually, it does deserve to be seen as a good film. Mm. And I think Milo Thatch is really good. Yeah, It's voiced by Michael Fox. Michael J. Fox. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a really good character, and he's because he's like this, like kind of quirky but like determined adventure kind of scientist guy. You know, it's really good. I, I really like him um, as a protagonist. He's he's probably up there, and I also really like Lilo. Mm, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Of. Those those are my two. I would say uh, that are up there. Not, I I don't know if like character arc wise, I would say they're like the best narratively, but like. I mean, I really like Stitch's character arc, actually. Mm, yeah. um, but I'm going to say I really like Lilo because Lilo's got some really funny, funny moments where, you know, she's like, she locks herself in the house yeah. and uh, her nanny is trying to get in and she's like listening to Elvis on the, yeah. on the, on the <laughs> megaphone and she's like, I'm feeling so lonely. I'm feeling so lonely. You know, like, it's just, yeah, she's really good. I really like Lilo. Nice. And Milo from Atlantis. So okay, cool. Well, so I'm I might have a slightly surprising one as well. Oh, this is good. So I'm gonna say Kenai from Brother Bear. Hmm. Because he has again, if I'm I'm a writer, so I'm thinking about the character arc. Right. And from where he begins to where he ends up is a really interesting arc. Mm-hmm. And you know, he's obviously full of revenge and he learns to love and everything, and it's mm-hmm. that toxic masculinity at the start, you know, he's how can I be a tome of love, etc., etc.? Yeah, I'm too manly for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and actually, he learns over the film that love is a great asset and strength, mm-hmm. but also it's about growing up and maturing. And I think that's actually a really great character development arc. Mm-hmm. 
and with a lot of protagonists in Disney films, you don't necessarily get those. Mm-hmm. Like, you know where you do get it though. Mm-hmm. Emperor's New Groove. Well, that's the, that's my other one in that. Cusco, he starts off very immature, yeah. he matures over the film, learns to be selfless, etc, mm-hmm. etc. Et because you could think of Kenai and Cusco as like starting like villains by the actions that they do. Yeah. Like hurting other people, mm-hmm. revenge thirsty, you know, they start off in where you could imagine a villain or origin story. Yeah. But then they go through and become the heroes. Yeah. Whereas you've got like Hercules or Ariel, you know, you start out rooting for them and they're good, kind people trying to do the right thing. Maybe mm-hmm. they fumble and do the wrong thing, but it's actually a very different place to start off oh, yeah. Cusco and Kenai in. It's almost like those. those those people, in the sense of, like, Ariel-esque, right? They're, they're almost like dreamers. Mm. Like, they, they have this vision, they want to do something, and then they kind of, by the end, get to achieve it or see it through. Yeah, like that's, Aladdin. Yeah, like, that's yeah. totally not the same with Kenai or Cusco. Cusco. Yeah. They're, they're really, like you said, these kind of, arrogant or um just not nice people not nice people yeah to be quite honest um and then you go through that and so that's why i think in terms of best protagonist for me like i mm. said from a writer more objective point of view actually they're the most well-written protagonists yeah i think and best uh, but then at my own personal view is i do love mulan mm-hmm. Kick the, butt. Woo! the the other thing i like is simba and i think simba mm. is helped by the fact that it's not just a development from, you know, being one personality to another personality, but actually Simba physically grows up. Yeah. And, and, you, and obviously it, it happens in one scene in Hakuna Matata where, like, it's a reflection point because, you know, you see Simba as a kid, how he acted, what he thought about the world, trying to understand his role as, like, yeah. Both a son of his father, but also knowing that he's supposed to now, he's supposed to at some point lead. And then he gets to the point where, you know, he he doesn't want to lead anymore. He wants this Hakuna Matata life. Like, you know, he, he literally... Chill vibes. <laughs> he wants chill vibes. And then comes back to realise, actually, I do have a purpose. I do have a destiny or whatever it is. And, you know, I will see it through. Well, this links very nicely into my next category, which is best plot. Oh. And I think Lion King is... The best. Yeah. Uh, okay, I said yeah. Too uh, let's, <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's reflect on that I think, um, obviously, it's based on Hamlet, so it's got, you know, some useful source material there. <laughs> but, well, Shakespeare is everywhere. Yeah. So. <laughs> I think Lion King is a very, like, quintessential coming into your own film for the protagonist, but then obviously that classic story of betrayal and everything. But it's just done really well and with all the right elements. Mm. And plot-wise, even when I watch it as an adult, I think because it really is well-written, it really hits on those emotional moments, but then has the lighter moments. And actually, when I watch Lion King now, it's just still such a great film. That also speaks to the pacing. I mean, like, Yeah, like the pacing of it's all great. Yeah. And I, I know this isn't necessarily related specifically to plot per se, but the way it is plotted out just helps all those elements to really sing. It's narrative structure. I mean, yeah, you exactly. Know, and then, then that, that is basically what pacing is, in a way. How can you, you know, plot the narrative so that people don't get bored, tired, yeah. and they, they always feel like it's moving, it's progressing, in a way. Exactly. Um, so for me, that's probably the best plot. But then my special mentions, Lilo and Stitch, because... I, actually, it was a nice little smile there. Yeah. <laughs> I love Lilo and Stitch, and... We haven't spoken about it too much, but it was the first Disney film to really feature on that sisterly love. And Nanny, mm. she's a great, whether you would call her a sidekick or not, I don't know, but she's a great supporting character. Mm. And 
the whole film is very funny and heartwarming, but also the characters all develops, so Nanny develops, Stitch develops, Lilo develops, and as a plot, it, it's kind of like that E.T. story, but through Stitch, um, but really the fa- family dynamics are really well thought out, and all the relationships, how they build. Um, so for me, Lilo and Stitch is a really great plot, and I think, again, just executed really well. So I'm really glad you said Lilo and Stitch, because I, I was going to put Lilo and Stitch... Maybe number one, actually. Mm. Though I would... Okay, so I really... I actually agree with everything you said about Lion King. So I would, I'm struggling to knock Lion King down. But the other plot I really like, and it's more for simplicity, but execution, mm. and how well they executed it, is Beauty and the Beast. Mm. Because it's so simple, in a way. But actually... And, and I wouldn't say the character... Like, I wouldn't say Belle goes on any sort of real character arc. But, like, the Beast does. And... It's a simple love story, but done really well. And I think that's that, that that speaks to something. Yeah. You know, people appreciate Beauty and the Beast, not just because of the music and all that, but actually it's a simple tale, really well told. So that's one thing. But Lilo and Stitch, I think, is there as well. For the reasons you said, you know, everyone goes on a character arc, everyone learns things. and But more importantly, the family dynamic, because, like, I'm looking through the list, and realistically, up until this point, there hadn't been, like, a real Disney film, mm. if you understand what I'm saying. Like, it, it's not... There hadn't been something where it's like, oh, this is actually, like, a tale about a family. Mm. Like, that could actually happen. You know, you've got Little Mermaid. It, all, all of these things are all fantastical. Whereas, mm. actually, yes, you've got aliens and whatever in Lilo and Stitch, but actually the story is kind of about a family trying to reconcile having lost their parents and mm. just trying to live in a really difficult yeah. world. Yeah. That's exactly. really what it's about, and that that's quite a real thing. Mm-hmm. You it's know? like getting on with life rather than going on this amazing journey or, you yeah. know, be dreaming about, you know, going off and doing something. It's like, yeah. how do we deal with the reality that we're living in? Ahana means family. Yeah. All right, well, this brings me on to most heartbreaking moment slash scene. Okay. And I literally, I'm just going to go on for what we're saying about Lilo and Stitch. Yeah. Ohana means family. But it's the bit where Stitch goes off and he's like, I'm lost. And that big alien comes and is like, you've got no family. You were made in a lab. Like, yeah. you know, Stitch is so sad and his like, ears point down. And yeah. again, the animation of how they use Stitch is very heartbreaking. And that's really one of um, a heartbreaking moment scene for me. But then I think the iconic heartbreaking moment scene from any Disney film ever, including old oh, this ones. This is big. It's yeah. a stampede from Lion King. Oh yeah, the whole section, him getting trapped down there, the music, how that comes in with all the bulls or whatever they are running through. Um, it's intense. Yeah, and it's you know, intense. Scar throwing him off the mountain. Long live the king! Right. And I mean, I, again, I still watch it, and it's like heart pounding. Yeah, it is like you heart. can't just the animation, the feeling, the music, the emotions of the characters is totally not top reflected notch. in the live action. If I might say that quickly. Uh, um, that's a whole another episode. <laughs> a whole another episode of live action. I just, I, um, you know. so yeah, so they actually reflect both my favorite heart, not favorite, but the most heartbreaking, wrenching moments mm-hmm. are both reflective of the two plots that I think are yeah. the best. And but I've got two other special mentions, okay. but you can go first. With well, your... I was just going to say to your point again is like that feeling of betrayal mm. um, from Scar. It's a very, it's an emotion that lots of people can really empathize with, and it helps to make that scene even more like intense even more powerful that's definitely one of the like 
gut-wrenching like scenes from any Disney film. I, I, w- I was going to say, actually, the Lilo and Stitch scene. Because I remember, yeah, I watched it recently again. Like, and I was just like, oh, I was just really sad. Like, I was just like, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. They didn't just do that. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it's really good that they use the analogy of, like, the ugly duckling. Because mm-hmm. lots of people understand that story. They can, they get that story. And then to see it done through Stitch, it's just like, oh, why? Yeah. Like, it's just really, really sad. Yeah. Um, well, I, I'm trying to think of like other ones. Well, I have two special mentions, so I'll, I'll throw that out now. <gasps> oh, oh, okay. Wait. So. Oh, no, wait. I've just thought of one. Can I say it? Is yeah, it okay? yeah, go for it. So I've just thought of one. It's when Coda finds out that it was Keen Eye that killed his mum. His mom. Oh, yeah. And then he like finds out. And you know, when you find out some, something about someone and it makes you completely change your entire view of them, and yeah. he just like realizes and then just starts running away. Yes, and and he runs into like the bushes and stuff and and it, yeah oh my god oh I just <laughs> heart wrenching that is that is rough oh dear my other two special mentions are actually from the Hunchback of Notre Dame mm-hmm. and I guess it's not like heart wrenching in an unnecessary and emotional way but one of the most visceral and like horrendous scenes of again many a Disney movie is when he's like tied up and spinning on that thing and they're throwing fruit at him yeah. I was like is this in a Disney movie? I was like this is horrendous <laughs> I couldn't watch it I was like. Yeah. Oh, yeah, didn't like it at all. I was like, oh, God. No wonder I left the cinema when I was a kid. Another special mention is from Princess and the Frog when Ray the Flea uh, dies and he becomes a star in the sky yeah. because nobody believed him before. And, then, and that's actually very emotional. And my, my partner kept telling me that I should include this one because he loves that and thinks it is the most emotional moment. And I agree, I actually rewatched it recently. And it was really sad. Yeah. So I those mean, are two like, other little moments I wanted to yeah, throw in there. He, like, the whole film, he's always saying... He's always saying he's going to go and join his... I can't remember the name of her, but, like, he's going to go and join his partner up in the sky or something like that. And everyone's like, mm, sure. Yeah, everyone's like... Oh, it's a star. And then, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then he does, and it's, yeah. Yeah. Very sad. Well, we're at our last category or two. Oh, dear. It's hard, this one. It's, like, best animation artwork. So if there's, I guess, any mm. specific seeds or anything. I think it's quite hard to have this category without talking about Beauty and the Beast and the moment in the ballroom scene because that was the first time that they used that CGI with hand-drawn animation right. in the Beauty and the Beast sequence. And that is really stunning and, like, dazzling and builds the atmosphere and it's just really gorgeous Mm. i think that's one moment that a lot of people would reference i think it'd be interesting to mention atlantis because i remember Mm. with atlantis there was a lot of um inbuilt cgi but also amongst the you know 2d animation so i think it's really good it sometimes it gets a bit dated i also felt like with hercules hercules was a bit weird because the hydra Mm. is like a different animation style it's almost cgi'd I did not. I don't know if it is CGI. It's a bit weird, and I, I just felt like that was quite out of place. And I think it would have been better had they just stuck to the two D animation. Mm-hmm. I think my favorite then, in terms of like the animation, is probably Princess and the Frog. And I know mm-hmm. you could say, "Oh, well, you know, it's the newest," but actually, it's it's clean. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's just really clean, and it does what it does really, really well. Mm. It doesn't really use CGI elements at all. You know, going back to what we said about um, the villain, it's like those bits with the uh, the undead and Day of the Dead and all of yeah. that, and it's like, wow, that's really cool animation. Mm. You know, it's just really well done. So I think Princess and the Frog is mine. Lovely. 
Yeah. Have you got... Well, I think... I mean, I just think generally Beauty and the Beast is... Yeah, you're going to... So beautiful. Like, in Be Our Guest, you know, all the plates and everything dancing. And again, it, it just speaks to how impressive they are as animators that, you know, a lot of these inanimate objects have such personality and character mm. within just the animation of them. So I think I'll just stick with Beauty and the Beast. And I mean, Can't not, not even that. talking about just Disney, talking about 3D animation in general, like computer-generated stuff, you do lose that sense of life, mm. that like personification of things. Yeah. It doesn't really come through as well as this really great 2D drawn animation. I know, animation. It's, it's like the thing is like, how realistic can we make animation or yeah. CGI? And it's like, but then you may as well use real things. Like, exactly. The point of animation is to elevate what you can't show mm -hmm. through real people or real items or whatever it is. Yeah. So, I mean, again, that's a whole thing. <laughs> Maybe we'll do one on the remakes because I've got some choice words for some of them. But that's what, I'm, my, but that's what I was saying is I specifically said, like, I'm not talking about, like, remakes or specifically Disney oh, yeah, films. Yeah. It's like, this is just an animation thing, like, yeah. you know. The Hobbit. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh. Oh, let's not mention that one. <laughs> um, again, what's so good about Princess and the Frog is it's really clean at what it does. Yeah. But it's it's not going for that glossy look, you know. Yeah. So there's none of that. But it's it's just really, really well drawn, mm. well animated, two D. You know. Mm. So. Yeah. Well, after all that, yeah. I'm going to ask you what are your. I was going to say what's your favorite film from this that we've spoken about, but huh. I, I, I know I think <laughs> what we'd do is top three. Top three. Here we go. We've got Emperor's New Groove, number one. Solid. Mm. Absolutely solid up Tippity there. top. Bang, bang, bang. Number... Okay, two and three. <laughs> yeah. So I, I have, like, four, but I'm going to be nice and pick two and three. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm not sure which one is two and which one is three, but these are my second and third choices. Okay. It's going to have to be Mulan and Lilo and Stitch. Oh, nice. Yeah. And I, I won't justify it. I'll just leave it at That's that. That's what it is. I'll just leave it at that. And yours? Surprising or not surprising? Should I have a guess? I don't think I've got them in order, though. These are just my top three. That's fine. So here we go. Okay, surprising, not surprising. Empress New Groove. Is that there? <laughs> I love how we just... Every time we just look at each other like, are we going to acknowledge how much we love Empress New Groove? <laughs> <laughs> Empress New Groove. Beauty and the Beast is my other one. That's not surprising at all from the the raving reviews you've given it so far. Oh, I love it. It is good. It's just such a beautiful film. Anyway, and then I think it has to be Mulan. I will say, though, if I had more top places, yeah. Lion King would be very close. I, Lion King was four for me. Mm. Well, do you want to know? I know what the top three Rotten Tomato films are. Can I have a guess? Okay, what do you think has the highest Rotten Tomatoes rating? This is going to be really interesting. I looked this up yesterday. Okay, so is this critic score or audience score? Critics, I think. Let me double check. Because that would make a difference to my answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm hold, hold the phone. Hold the phone, guys. <laughs> so this is the tomato meter score on okay. Rotten Tomatoes. Tomato. So I've got the top three Disney films on Tomato Tomatoes. meter is audience-based? Critic. Crit sorry, critic-based. Okay, top three critics. Um, okay, so I'm going to say Beauty and the Beast. That is... Is number one. Nope, but it is in the top three. Number two? Yeah, well, I should caveat by saying number two and three are tied. Oh, so okay, okay. Two of the films and then a number one spotter. Then... So, yes, Beauty and the Beast is in the number two spot tied with something else. Lion King's number one? Nope, but it's tied number two with Beauty and the Beast. Wow, what? So, we've got Beauty and the Beast and Lion King in the top two spot. Tied. They both have... This is a critic score? Yeah. 
Interesting. I'm trying to think, what would critics like? <laughs> maybe don't think that way. Oh. Or maybe think that way, I don't know. I'm going to go slightly rogue shout and say, because I think it probably did well with critics, Princess and the Frog. No. Okay. There was just, <laughs> that was completely rogue shout. But, rogue, rogue, rogue. Um, oh, this is hard now. Mm. Uh, now I'm thinking it's either Mulan or Tarzan. But then it could be Aladdin. <laughs> I don't think it's Little Mermaid. I just don't imagine Little Mermaid makes it up there. Uh, you know what? Because I'm really unsure about those, can you give me the last one? What 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 is it? Yeah. So Aladdin has a ninety five slash ninety six percent tomato rating, and then we have Beauty and the Beast and Lion King both of ninety three, and then the others are usually hovering. Or, well, all the bigger ones are hovering around ninety eighty five to ninety percent. See, I don't necessarily understand where the love for Aladdin comes from. Oh, I well, I said I watched it last night, having not watched it for a long, long time. It's funny. It's got good pacing. The songs are great. Visually, I was going to mention this in the artwork animation one, like just the design and the detail, like the cave and the colours. Really great. I think it's quite a solid film overall. And I guess when it came out, it's such a spectacle. So I was thinking Mulan and Tarzan, and then I, and then I thought, actually, what do people actually like? And I did think... Aladdin was going to be up there. I didn't necessarily realise it was going to be number one, but there well, are elements that I like from it. I just don't love it in the way that lots of people love it. But it's all it's all subjective, and, you know, there's yeah. loads of people that be like, I don't know what the fuss is with Emperor's New Groove. <laughs> oh, we yeah. went to see that in the cinema about five or six times. We were mm -hmm. in America for, like, six weeks, back in 2000 and, uh, or 2001, either one, and we were during term time. And... <laughs> We just went to the cinema loads because it was freezing there. There wasn't much to do. Yeah, we watched it so many times in the cinema. Just loved it. It's imprinted in both our memories, really. Yeah. So it's, it is a very nostalgic film. I'm very aware of that. But we fought hard for the reason why it is really good, which yeah, is the dialogue. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I can understand why some people don't love it as much as something with songs in it or what, or it's not as a romantic storyline as some of the other ones. That's what you're in looking for, In a way, for, it doesn't, it doesn't but, necessarily feel like like what I would expect from a Disney film in a mm. way but I think that's what makes it so special yeah it's, it's so unique and so standalone and, I, and yeah I love it well you know it's all subjective and I've got my top three mm. top films you've got your top three yeah. and we debated all the different categories let us know if there's any other categories you want us to cover you know there's so many elements it's, it's hard to go over all there's of them so many elements so, and we've spent a good deal of time going through them as well exactly so, you know. and there's plenty of other Disney eras to go through got early days got be mid prepared, got, yeah, yeah. <laughs> be coming. prepared yeah it's coming oh what a great reference <laughs> yeah, exactly. um, but yeah we're kicking off season two with a bang we've been pretty fair I think I think we've been pretty fair it's, it's tough because as we said nostalgia and balance and all that and so. objectivity yeah exactly but so. you let us know what your favourite Disney films are in any of those categories scariest villain best dialogue whatever whatever mm -hmm. you let us know what you're thinking that would be great and we'll be back next week with a, another episode another movie throwback yep oh who was it going to be very yeah. exciting yeah so make sure to give us a rating on Spotify on Apple Podcasts anywhere you get your podcasts and also we're on instagram so you can check us out there we're on at one of us is a filmmaker so that's where you'll find us and yeah we can't wait to see you all next time see you on the other side nice <laughs>